That song sounds so easy, doesn't it? To say, yeah. Man, I'm so glad you are here. And if you're online, uh, really, uh, wherever you are around the world, I was just talking to our Ukrainian friends this past week. And so, uh, man, we're praying for you. And wherever you are, whatever's going on, we're glad you're with us. And of course, for those of you in the room right now, uh, we tape on Friday night for online. We, uh, these people, just so you know online, so you're impressed, came here in a hailstorm. That's impressive. That is impressive. So if you want to know who at Chase Oaks loves Jesus, here it is, right? And, uh, and so today we are continuing the series called, it's a little mini series called Confident. And as I talked about last week, confident is kind of a strange world, word in our world right now where there's so much just anxiety and so much uncertainty. And, and I thought about, you know, I could just do a year series called Confident and focus it on different areas of life. And how can we navigate that area of life confidently? But I don't have the attention span to do a year-long series, so that'll never happen. But what we're doing in this little series is focusing our attention on such a, a big area of life called finances. And it is such a big area of life, 2,500 verses in the Bible out of 23,000, so over 10%, are about money and material possessions. Jesus taught more about money than any other single topic. Because he understood that this area of life is so far-reaching. It impacts us in every way, including our spirituality, our faith, as well as our well-being and joy. And it will affect us for all eternity to get this right. And we want to get it right. And so in this today, we're going to be talking about how we can be confident in an approach to handle the resources that God's given us to get to where we want to go. But in, I think we can all agree that it's an important part of life. But it's not the easiest part of life to focus on. It's a little bit like going to the dentist. You know, nobody likes going to the dentist, but you know you need to because you know it's important. In fact, I, a few years ago, I, I said that in a service. This was four or five years ago. I expanded it, kind of made, you know, but jokes for a few minutes about the dentist and all that. So a couple of weeks after that, I met my dentist. And he's a wonderful guy, really is, wonderful dentist office. And so I'm, I'm laying in the chair and he waits until he's got, my mouth is open and he's got the instruments in my mouth doing his thing. And he says, so a couple of weeks ago, I'm sitting in church and my pastor, me, starts talking about how everybody hates going to the dentist. And I'm like, oh no, never make your dentist mad, you know? And, and he said, you know, we work really hard to make it as pleasant as possible. And I, you know, my mouth, you know, that awkward thing where they want you, they're talking to you. And I'm like, oh, no, it's awesome. You know, trying to talk to him. And, and then he's like, hey, look, I'm just giving you a hard time. I get it. But, uh, you know, it's hard to do that, right? I, I remember years ago, one of our pastors, he's not on our staff anymore. Um, but this was decades ago, 30 years ago, probably. He decided one way to spend money, and all young pastors try to find any way possible to save money. So he decided one way to save money was just not to go to the dentist, which he did for about 10 years. Which didn't end up working out very well in the saving money thing, as they had to replace his teeth with implants. I mean, just thousands and thousands of dollars of work that had to be done uh, because of that. Not a good move. And... And a great illustration, I think, of, of prevention is a lot better than problems and intervention. But it's really, really easy in different areas of our lives, relationships, could be marriage, whatever, to 
not do the things that make it good, not over time, not like to, to set aside prevention and just kind of wait for the problem and intervention. Um, I, I went to the doctor a few months ago, did a big you know, thing where they test all this stuff. And they told me that I was healthy, but I needed to lose about 10 or 12 pounds. And so I knew what my next step was, and that is get another doctor. You know, right? You know, somebody who won't tell me that. Um, and, you know, so I had to, because I, I don't want to lose my Chick-fil-A habit. I'll, I'll lose a lot of things. I just don't want to lose that. Uh, but I've had to adjust that too. And I'll, right, because there's a reason for that, right? There's, it, it's, it's, it matters later. It doesn't matter now, but it'll matter later. And that's the whole idea of prevention versus problem and intervention. But I think of all the areas of life, it's easiest to do that is our finances. To just kind of let it go. To spend money and hope it works out. Which is a really bad plan. It's, no plan is a bad plan. Because we'll never end up where we want to go if we just drift in this area of life. Like certainly you won't if you spend more than you make, right? That's not sustainable and you'll end up in money problem and then you have intervention and all that and it's a big deal and all that. But even if you have enough money and you make enough money where you don't really have to worry about spending more than you make. I mean, you've got enough money coming in. You just kind of let it fly and God bless you. That must be fun. And, you know, you're just kind of spending money and whatever still won't let you end up where you want to go. Right, you'll end up in the end with really nothing of significance to show for your life, like the song we just heard. I don't want to be 85 and just all my life, just basically nothing to show for it, right? And, and, and the truth is, every one of us who know Jesus, and those of you who aren't Christians um, get a pass on this, but for those of us who are, one day the Bible lets us know that you and I will stand before God and give an account for our life, our time our gifts and abilities, our influence, and our financial resources. It's called the Bema Seat Judgment, our eternity in heaven. It's not do you get to go to heaven or not. That's already dealt with. But it's what is heaven going to be like in terms of eternal reward and wealth and responsibility will be based on how faithful we've been. And what we want to hear is, well done, my good and faithful servant, not really. And, and I want you to be prepared for that. I'm your pastor. I don't want you to get there and think, why did he never, that bozo, he never said anything about that. Like, I would have been good to know. I want us to know. I want us to be ready for that. I want it to be a wonderful day. And God will be crazy generous. But we'll be glad for everything that we were faithful with. And so what does it look like to, to not just, you know, let things go, but to actually have a plan that we can be confident on that day and confident in general that we're going to end up where we want to end up. And that's what God wants for us. And so we're going to be looking, as I said last week, the Bible is so practical and gives us the components of ways to manage a plan that you can customize. And if you do it, and a lot of people have had problems and then shifted to this, and I'm looking at some of you, I know you, um, and, and have done this, be like, yes, this is a good thing. Like this is, I'm so glad I did this. God's wisdom is a good thing. Um, it's not something that he wants from us, finances. It's something he wants for us for this part of life to be good. And in Proverbs 21.5, Solomon says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. That, that a basic idea here is to have a plan. To, to know actually where your money's going. 
Not just spend in haste and hope it, hopes it work out because that won't work out, but to have a plan. And the basic component of the plan that, the Bible, that emerges as we're going to look at these Bible passages is to live on less than you make. Which sounds basic, right? But two-thirds, it just came out this last week, a new kind of study. Two-thirds of Americans are not living on less than they make. Two-thirds of Americans are at least living paycheck to paycheck, meaning they're spending everything that they make. Um, But that's the best-case scenario, because what they found is two-thirds of those people are actually not just living paycheck to paycheck. They're going into consumer debt or eating into savings in order to to just pay for expenses. And that's not sustainable, right? I mean, we'd all think, okay, that's not a good plan. You can't do that very long without getting into some problem and intervention and all that kind of stuff. So it's not very American, but very wise to say, I'm going to live on less than I make so that I can do a few things. Not just spend money, but I can be wise enough to do a couple of other things. And if you've been around Chase Oaks, you probably know the three buckets because every time we, I mean, it's not like I make it up new every time. It's just what the Bible says. So it's three buckets, and that is give, save, live. And we're going to talk about them, what the Bible says, so that we can think about our plan. I encourage you, if you're married, to have a conversation this weekend about your financial plan. If you're not, talk with a friend about it. Talk if you're single or something. I think it's helpful to have that interaction. But the first bucket is give. And you might think, well, why are you talking about the give bucket first? And if you're kind of cynical, you're like, well, yeah, because you're a pastor. And you lead an organization that depends on donations. So, of course, you're going to talk about give first. But that's actually not why. Um, and, by the way, if you're kind of cynical right now and think, oh, see, I knew I didn't, wouldn't go to church. All they want is your money. Honey, hide your pocketbook. You know, don't let them see your purse. You know, hide your... If, if, if that's going on right now, let me just put you at ease. Um, the Bible will compel us to generosity. You want to be generous anyway, my guess. And if you can't be cheerfully generous here, be generous somewhere. You don't have to be, you know, that's, there may come a time where that'll change. But let me just kind of put that to bed. But the Bible is a, the reason we're talking about give first is the Bible is, Jesus is teaching, is a generosity-driven approach to money. Not a consumption-driven approach to money. And even if you don't know Jesus, or even if you're not a Christian, I think you'd want to say, well, yeah, I, I think I'd, I'd rather sign up for a generosity-driven approach than a consumption-driven approach. I can see those would end up at two very different places. But the Bible helps guide our generosity because all of us want to be generous, and I think a lot of us feel like we are generous, but how do we even know? And the Bible tells us about it. And the truth is, Americans are good at one kind of generosity, like really good. Compared to the rest of the world, um, we come out really great on this. And, And I'm talking about spontaneous generosity. Like, There's a need that happens around the world. There's some disaster, even in our community, like looking at all the GoFundMe things for the Allen families. It's amazing. Like Americans really are generous. And I've been at different, I've been in different parts of the world where there's been famine or there's been natural disasters. And it was amazing all that comes in, all that from America and Americans and the just wave of generosity. And there's, that's really good. I mean, that, I'm not making fun of that. That's a good thing. It's a wonderful part of our culture. And it's, it's why, you know, we, there's all those commercials on TV with Sarah McLaughlin and Sad Dogs. And, you know, you see them and you're like, oh, I'm going to do that. And, and they generate a lot of money because we're good at, at that kind of generosity. And that's good. God wants that. But what the Bible really talks about is not sporadic generosity, spontaneous generosity, but systematic generosity. To, say, I have a generosity, to have a generosity plan and, and actually to plan our budget around 
systematic generosity. Not just spend money and then, oh yeah, that's good, I'll do that, I'll do that. But to actually have a plan. And the Bible gives us help on how to build that plan. And, it, and it's built around three P's that we're going to see. And it's, uh, I could, you know, there's plenty of Bible verses to look at, but we're going to be in Paul's teaching to the Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, he told the church this. Now, about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do, which is instruction. It was, it was his instructions to all the churches. On the first day of every week, that's when they gathered, like we're gathering, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. So there's actually a lot there. First is planned. The first P is planned. Not just sporadic generosity, but planned generosity. You say, you know what? I, he's, he's saying, hey, come each week, come to the gathering, knowing what you're going to do. And in 2 Corinthians, he even talks more. And we'll look at that in a minute about how to decide before the Lord what your generosity plan is going to be. But it's planned generosity, not just sporadic generosity. That you build your budget, you build your spending, giving, I mean, your money plan around giving, not just spending. The second P is priority. He says, on the first day of every week, which in that culture was like saying, hey, don't wait until to see what you have left over at the end of the week. Give the first. Give right from the top. Meaning, make, it the, make generosity the first part of your budget, not the leftovers of your budget. And in the Bible, that's very consistent throughout the Bible. And that is that God, what he wants from us is giving the first and the best not the least in the leftovers. Like Proverbs 3 is one of those passages. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Meaning God will respond to generosity that's prioritized. But all through the Bible, he's saying, Hey, give, give the first and the best. Give the first fruits, not the leftovers, not the worst. And if you think about it, there's only so many ways to spend money, right? Or to deal with money. You can spend it on stuff. You can pay taxes with it. You can pay debt with it. You can save it or you can give it. And most people, most Christians, um, if you look at that order, go ahead and put the slide up. Um, the give it is at the bottom. And all he's saying is, hey, move it to the top. Build your budget around generosity. Which is interesting because you think, well, why does that matter so much to God? Because he's got everything. It's not like he needs our money. It's not like he's hard up for cash. So what does he like, what's the deal? I mean, he's the one that provides everything, so why does that matter so much to him? And I think why it matters so much to him, and the Bible talks about this, is because it really shows where our heart is. Like, like it's easy to talk a big game, just even in general. Like, I was thinking about this uh, a couple days ago, because if you remember Blake Bergstrom, who was on our teaching team, if you've been to Chase, around Chase Oaks for a while, and he's coming back in, uh, to speak in July, so we're excited about that. That'll be fun. And he's now a lead pastor, a senior pastor in Atlanta. Uh, so he's not coming back on our teaching team, but he's coming back to teach because why not? You know, it'd be fun to have him back. And so he's going to do that, which is great. Um, but Blake, if you, if, you, if you don't know him, Blake is like Tigger. And he's just excited about everything. And he's a wonderful guy and just one of the best people I've ever known. So Christy and I, this story came when Christy and I took he and Allie on a little ski trip. And we never skied together. And he, and so we're going up, he and Blake and I are going up, you know, first chair, we're going up the lift. And he looks at me and he says, Jeff, you know, I used to live in Colorado. I said, yeah, I know. He said, so I, I used to ski a lot. I'm a really good skier. I really enjoy it. But he said, I like to ski fast. I'm like, good. Okay. That's great. And he's like, well, no, the reason I'm saying that, if it's okay, if it's not okay, that's fine. I'll just stay with you. But what I'd like to do is just ski all out 
And then you can meet me at the bottom and I'll wait for you. That's not a problem. I just, I just never get to ski anymore. And I just want to be able to just ski. Like, you know what, Blake, you do you. You just ski. Now, I ski a lot, too. And uh, so we got off the lift. He started down. And, and he's a good skier, but he's not that fast. And so I, I passed him and, uh, and you know, went down to the bottom. And, uh, and he comes down with his person. He's got such a big personality. He's like, and he you know, meets me down there. And he's like, I'm so dejected right now. I'm so dejected. You're so fast. I thought I was fast. And I, didn't, I couldn't even see you anymore. And, and I, here I talk big about on the lift about, oh, I'm so fast. And, and I feel so stupid. And, I, and it, all I'm saying is it's easy to talk big. Right? But then you got to put up or shut up. Like, yeah, what is it? And that's really what God is saying here. Like, like in Malachi 3, there's this passage. We'll look at some of it later where he, he tell, tells his, the, the nation of Israel, his people in the Old Testament, that weren't really, they weren't giving financially the way they were supposed to, but they were all proud of themselves for their worship services and singing these songs and all that. And he tells them, you know what? Just stop doing that. I don't even want you to sing to me. I don't need your worship song. I don't need you to come to the temple. I, just why don't you start doing what I've asked you to do with your finances? Because it's a test of devotion. It's like he gives us the resources we have, and then he just watches to see what we do with it. And that tells him more than anything else where our heart's really at. And so priority's a big deal. So plan, priority, and then percentage. To give a portion. That's what he says. He says in you know, 1 Corinthians, to each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. A uh, better way to even translate that is set aside a portion of your income. A percentage of your income that you decide. Now in the Old Testament, you think, well, what percentage should it be? In the Old Testament, there was no mystery. It was tithe. Tithe means 10%. So sometimes people today will talk about, oh, I tithe. I tithe $50 a month. I'm like, well, that's great. If you make like, what, I, I shouldn't do math, but $6,000 a year, that's awesome. You know, but, um, but that's not a tithe, right? That's, but, but in the Old Testament, a tithe, it's 10%. It was mandated. Like you didn't, that was it. Like you didn't have to wonder. There was no guesswork. There was no deciding before God. It was 10%. Actually, there were multiple tithes in the Old Testament depending on the year. But you gave 10%. Coming in the New Testament, we're not under the Old Testament law. So in the New Testament... There's freedom, and, and which means you, can, you have some decisions to make. We're under grace. And, and, and I do think that when you look at the New Testament, that the concept of tithe kind of is the benchmark. It's kind of the starting place to consider. And I, I think that's helpful. And that's why a lot of Christians today, tithe, they do literally tithe. They give 10% of their income away. Um, but that's not necessarily the right thing. For some, that's too much. For some, that's too little. How would you know? Well, in 2 Corinthians, Paul gives us some help on that. And as you're thinking about your giving percentage or giving plan, here's some things to consider. One is ability. In 2 Corinthians 8.12, he says, For if the willingness is there, meaning you want to be generous, you want to honor God, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what does not have. Meaning, not everybody can do that. It's not just that they're reckless spending money. I mean, literally, they're in a situation where they can't give 10% or what. And he's saying, that's fine. Give according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. Um, like, I, I remember talking to a college student a few years ago. Uh, we were talking, we, it was this similar, very similar message. And she was very conscientious. And say, she's, she said, I get no help from my family. I'm working three jobs. 
I've worked it out paying for school and all my expenses where I can give like 5% of my income, but I can't do, t- I just can't figure out how to, I was like, you know what? You're fine. Like, you're like five star. Like, you know, you're, you're good. Um, so ability is something to consider. And another thing to consider is where your heart for God is, meaning what you, what you can do cheerfully. That's what he says. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Don't do it because I'm telling you to do it under compulsion. And if you can't give cheerfully, don't give. That's what God's saying. Like if you, if you can give half a percent cheerfully and with 10% you'll be grumpy, God's saying go with a half percent. Do what you can do cheerfully. And over time... Your heart for God can grow as you grow in him and, all, and you see how God responds and all that. And, and that'll probably, but just go with what you can do cheerfully. God really doesn't need grumpy money. Again, he's not hard up for cash. This is about his heart. And, and same thing, like I said, there, I, mean, I love people giving to Chase Oaks and I, I, I hope you do. But if you can't give to Chase Oaks and, without being grumpy, then give it somewhere else. That's fine, right? Just give what you can give cheerfully. And then consider God's generosity back to you. This is a principle that's abused by a lot of people in my position. You know, if you give me money, God's going to give you a Cadillac or whatever, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and that's not going to happen. I don't think God could do that, but I wouldn't count it. And, uh, but there is a principle that gets abused, but it doesn't make the principle not true. And here's, here's what I mean. Paul says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly, like sowing seed, planting seed, will also reap sparingly. If you plant two seeds, you're going to get not much crops. But if you plant a million seeds, you'll get more. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Meaning God responds to generosity. Jesus said that God, with the measure that we give is the measure that God gives to us. And so if we want God to be wildly generous, then be wildly generous. Is what Jesus said. Is what Paul is saying. That can be abused. You've got to figure out what to do with it. But it's a principle. And, and God, basically, generosity attracts God's enablement. It attracts his blessing. But you get to decide. And so you think, well, what, what, I don't know what percentage should we give. If we're in a planned percentage priority way, let's have a plan. Let's know what we're doing. We should have a giving plan. And, then he, and uh, so that's that part of it. And then you also may be asked the question, where should you give it? You know, I want to be generous. Where should I give it? And you might think, well, what I say, right? And, uh, should you give it to church? You know, should all of it go to church or, but, and you got to figure that out in your plan. I know for Christy and me, we've always given, uh, the, our plan has been to give 10% to Chase Oaks to our church, uh, cause all of our marriage pretty much it's been Chase Oaks and we'll do that what after I'm paid, like, it, like when I'm not paid to be a Christian anymore, uh, when I do something else one day, get too old to do this, we'll still do that because we believe that God is working primarily in the world through his church expressed in local churches. So that's our commitment. And then we give above and beyond that to other things. Uh, and that's not fun to do world vision or real options or orphan outreach or air one. We, you know, it's just, it's fun to be able to do different things like that. And we do, and we feel like we should, and we're happy to do it, but you've got to work that out. That's the giving part. But that's only one bucket. There's three buckets. The next one is save. Give, save, and then live. And that is to save. And the Bible talks a lot about that too. For example, in Proverbs, it says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man just devours all he has. 
Meaning foolish people just spend everything they make. But wise people, it says, have uh, stores of choice food and oil, which sounds strange to us, but that's the way they stored wealth back then. So they would store it in, with grain. They would store it with these fancy oils. That was their savings account. So today, it would say wise people have savings, have investments. Foolish people just spend everything they make. Proverbs talks a lot about like ants, how they store up for the winter and they, and they think and they're smart enough to know that it, times may be okay now, but they're not always, there's going to be some kind of downturn and I'm going to need some help or I'm going to retire one day or whatever. And so it's being wise enough to save and not cheat our future. So give, save, and then live. And the live means that God actually wants us to enjoy what we have to his glory. So Ecclesiastes 5 says, Where God give, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. I mean, God wants us to enjoy things. And if you can have nice things, especially if you're, if you're wise enough to save and generous enough to give and you're living on the rest, then you really can enjoy knowing, okay, I'm not living a shallow life. I'm living a generosity-driven life. I'm not being stupid. I, I'm being wise. I, I'm, you know, I'm not being reckless. I'm, I'm saving for the future and all that. And then we really can enjoy without worry or without guilt or something. We can enjoy fully to the glory of God the things that he's given us to enjoy. To go on a vacation, to do family stuff, to go to a nice place to eat or whatever when you're doing all the other. Um, 1 Timothy 6 is also a passage that I, I won't read, but just he's talking to people who are wealthy. And he says, one of the, he says, God is the one who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He also talks about generosity. Be generous and ready to share on every occasion, he says. But he also talks about God provides us what he provides us in part for our enjoyment. That he, God loves. I mean, when, when you enjoy what God has given you, as a family, and he's looking, you know, God looks down and he sees you eating a meal or he sees you doing something. Fun. You know, he's like, that's awesome. I love that. Like, it's not like he's saying, oh, really? Come on. You could have given that away. Um, he wants us to enjoy it. So give, save, live. Three buckets. And if we do that, if we say, I'm going to live on less than I make, and I'm going to be generous enough to give, wise enough to save, and live on the rest. I think we can imagine that probably that's going to have a good chance of working out pretty well. Better than just living on more than we make. Or just letting money fly and not knowing where it's going. But then you've got to decide, well, how much should go in each bucket? And that's, you've got to decide that. But if you've been around Chase Oaks very much, you know that we just recommend as a starting place, and a lot of us have adopted this, and are glad we have over the years, and you, do you know the numbers, give, save, live? Somebody tell me. 10, 10, there you go, 10, 10, 80. And, uh, and I know you people that have done that. Um, and so with 10, 10, 80, it's saying, it's just a starting place. Okay, it's not a biblical mandate, whatever, but it, it's just a starting place for the conversation. And it's, people who've adopted it aren't mad about it, but give 10%, save 10%, live on 80%, live on the rest. And you can imagine over the years, if you do that, as you give 10% and all the stuff that God's able to do through that, you'll be rewarded for all eternity for that. You save 10% of your income and allow that to grow over time and let interest work for you and investments work for you, not against you with debt. That's a good thing. And then live on the rest. 
I've, I've never, I've met a lot of people at Chase Oaks who've adopted that. And I've never had one who started doing that who regretted it. He was like, it was so stupid. Why didn't I just spend more than I made? Because then I could have been in debt. And it would have been, you know, fun talking to all those debt collectors and getting to meet them and share Jesus with them on the phone. You know, right? I've never, just never had that. But I've had a lot of people. In fact, I talked to a, a young adult who reached out to me after last week to say, hey, I grew up in this church and I'm so thankful that I was taught that because he was like, Our, my friends weren't. And they're like, I'm so far ahead of them in terms of just financial health. And, uh, and they actually make a lot of money. They just don't know what to do with it and are in money trouble in their young 30s. And I'm just thankful that I grew up in a church that had some direction. And, and thank you for that because there's wisdom in that. But you get to choose. Now, for some people, 10, 10 is that. Like if you're given zeros, if, it's, if you're at zero, zero, 100 right now or zero, zero, 120 right now, um, then going 10, 10, 80 like that, it's not going to happen. So for you, you may think 1, 1, 98. Two, two, I shouldn't do math. <laughs> I'm a pastor. But you get the idea, right? Some people have enough money. We have some chase soakers that are, and I, now we have, well, I won't say how many, but we've got some very small amount of chase soakers who are on the 90 0 10 plan. Wouldn't that be fun? Give away 90% of your income. You don't have to save anymore because you don't need it, and you live on 10%. Wouldn't that be fun? And they are. They're having a blast. They could have houses all over the place, and play, but they're not. They're like, Giving to all kinds of things, all over, not just us, but all over the world, and it's really, really cool. That'd be pretty awesome. But you talk about it, and you decide. And as a starting place, we do this, I think it's been about 15 years since we've done this, but it was a lot of fun. I don't know why we haven't repeated it, so I thought, well, let's try this out. And that is, just as a starting place, to do a 1% challenge. And by a 1% challenge, it's just a small step. In addition to looking at our budget and thinking through money play, but just do a 1% challenge and say, whatever I'm giving now, I'm going to build my budget around generosity a little bit more, and I'm just going to give 1% more. So for Christy and I, it'd be 11%. If you're giving 5%, again, I'm doing math. I shouldn't, but this is easy math, right? If you're giving zero, it's 1%. And see what God does. And the reason I say challenge is here's what God says in Malachi. It's a crazy passage. Um, that's when he's upset with God's people where they're talking big, but he's like, you know what? Just stop doing your worship services and start being honor me this way. But here's part of that. He says, bring the whole tithe. Now that was 10% for them. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord almighty and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing. You will not have room enough for it. It's like, you think you're getting ahead by holding on, but you're not. And he said, it's the only time in the Bible where God says, test me, put me to the test. Because we're told in the Bible, don't put God to the test. But this is an exception where God says, no, this time, you know what? Put me to the test. Just begin to give like I've told you to give and just see what I do. Try me. Make my day. You know, just see what happens. And so we could try that with this, you know, in Malachi, it was a 10% challenge. That's a lot. You know, there are churches that are more gung-ho, be like 10%, but we're just going to do a 1% challenge. And it's interesting because when we've done that before, and all it is to say, I'm going to do a 1% challenge, I'm going to give 1% or 1% more than I give for six months and just see what God does, see how God responds. And last time we did, it was really cool to hear stories of, you know what, like this actually, like God actually does respond. And, uh, and so if you want to do it, 
uh, you can, uh, and, and let us know, and, and all it is is your email address, so you'll get an email, and I won't see it, so I don't know if you're doing it or not. And even if I did, I'd love you whether you did it or not anyway. But you can go on your app, you can go right now on your app, on the Chase Oaks app, download it if you don't have it, do the 1% challenge, um, you'll put your email in there, and then they'll send you some information about, um, about that. And it'll be kind of cool to see what happens. It certainly was cool, and we did it last time. All I know is, is that God wants this part of life to be really great. And it's a part of life that can easily not be. And I know it's not the easiest part of life to do. And we've done the hard one. We've done the hard week. Like, you, you, you should feel so good right now. Uh, next week, Brad Carr's going to come. He's from New Zealand. He's one of the best communicators in the world, I think. And he sounds so smart because he has the Kiwi accent. And, uh, and he could say, I like to eat little green bananas. And you're like, he's so deep. So just because of his accent, I'm telling you, you'll, you'll see that when he comes. But this week is, a, is actually one of the more important weeks you'll ever come to church if you buy into it. And you can blow it off if you want to. But God invites us to a life of generosity and wisdom. So then we really can, this part of life can be enjoyable. And we can get to the end of our life and not look back with regret, but look back with appreciation and joy because we were generous and wise. Um, let's bow our heads together and commit this part of life to God. Father, I do thank you for your generosity in our life. We will never be able to outgenerous you. You just pour generosity, pour generosity into our life. And Father, would you help us to be generous with what you've given us and, and, to, and trust you by faith. And I pray for those who are struggling right now too, where they don't have extra and then they have need. And God, I pray that you'd help us to help them with that need. But also, Father, I pray that you provide. And that you would give peace where there's anxiety right now and provision where there's need. And for those of us who are managing this part of life, God, would you help us manage it faithfully, manage it well. And and help us just be disciplined to do that. We need you to do that. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.